What up, everybody? It's your boy Rousseau here at the Devon Rousseau Podcast. I just want to say thank you all so much for checking out this episode, recapping UFC 254, uh, Habib Medov versus Justin Gagey. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe uh, to the podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. We should be available on all streaming platforms, and we really appreciate it. Uh, this episode, we have a special guest. Uh, Omar Johnson fighting out of Mobile, Alabama, representing the Atlas organization, the current lightweight champion uh, in that organization. So it's a pleasure to have a mixed martial artist, especially a champion level fighter, be able to give insights to the fight game uh, and engage in this conversation. Uh, and midway through the podcast, me and Omar engage in a, in a slight debate uh, on the question of who's the greatest of all time in the UFC between John Jones and Habib Nurmagomedov. And it's a very enlightening discussion. You know, it was less a debate and more of a, me listening to Omar and getting his expertise on the, on the fight game. And it was a fantastic uh, engagement. Uh, but one thing I wanted to let you all know uh, before watching this episode is that the audio quality is a bit uh, muffled. I, we weren't able to use our uh, specific mics. We had to use a, a different um, outlet for the audio capacity for for this episode. So I just want to apologize in advance for any audio issues uh, that occurred during during the podcast, and we'll definitely have that resolved in, in the future. So, yeah, thank you all so much uh, for listening, and let's move right into the episode. All right, welcome to the Devon Rousseau podcast. It's your boy Rousseau. We have a special, special guest here uh, today, mixed martial artist Omar Johnson. Uh, Omar, uh, would you mind just briefly introducing yourself to the folks listening? Uh, no problem, brother. First and foremost, thank you for having me on the show, man. It's, uh, I know we were discussing on Facebook and you invited me on, so I'm glad to be here. Um, for your viewers and listeners that don't know, my name is Omar Johnson, uh, mixed martial artist. Been competing now uh, professionally for six years. Um, turned amateur um, 2012. Immediately followed college uh, after playing college ball. Um, career's going well. Full time dad, full time husband. On top of that, um, so that's just a little bit about myself. Definitely. Thank you so much for that, uh, Omar. I had the opportunity to check out your uh, Atlas fight uh, 54. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Is it Atlas? The yes, sir. That's correct. Atlas. Yep. Uh, and it was a very impressive fight. Uh, one thing I really liked uh, from that fight was the composure that you had on the ground. And I think that's a good entryway in, into this conversation uh, to talk about sort of uh, Habib and, and John, but also more importantly, the UFC 254 fight card. Uh, so I want to get your thoughts first and foremost on the matchup between uh, Habib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gagey. Uh, man, uh the matchup overall, I think the fight went exactly um, the way I saw it going. No, honestly, um, Gagey's a very game opponent. He does have good wins. And um, UFC, of course, their objective is to hype the fight up. But, man, I, realistically, we hadn't just seen enough of Gagey on the ground in order to be able to justify them saying that he could wrestle with the likes of Habib. And, man, as soon as – and it went just according to plan. You know, Habib did well, keeping the pressure. But I think Gagey's biggest – downfall in that fight was the lateral movement, which is not something he's accustomed to doing. Um, but overall, I think if he would have stuck to his game plan, the fight may have been a little bit more competitive. 
Uh, but he just he, he did the same thing that the other 28 people did when they faced him. They, they fall into the, I guess, the mystique of who they're standing across from, and they completely, you know, get away from their game plan. Right. So I want to ask about that. Uh, so from the fight, what was your thoughts about uh, Habib's pressure? A lot of folks talk about the pressure throughout the fight. And for you as a mixed martial artist, what tactic would you use to sort of uh, counter Habib's desire to, to pressure with his various level changes and his feints? Because you don't know what's coming. Is he striking? Is he going for the takedown? How would you approach it? Um, well, that's, that's funny. A lot of my a lot of my competitors, a lot of people I compete against, I have to worry about the takedown, and that's the biggest threat. Most people that I compete against, they um, obviously want to get get the fight, get me to the ground as soon as possible. Um, mm-hmm. The way I negate that, and the way I would, you know, if I would approach a fight with a beeb, is, um, man, personally, I like to stay at half a level change. I think that gives um, that makes the shot a little bit tougher. Um, in the past, we've seen Habib, I don't want to say struggle get takedowns in the center of the cage, but uh, it, it, it gives you more room to scramble if you're able to dictate and stay in the center of the cage. Um, me, I would keep a nice jab in his face, man, add in my feints, show him um, show him shots that's coming up the middle, i.e. knees, uppercuts, just feints like that to kind of freeze his shots. Um, and then at that point, I would play my game, man, which primarily I wouldn't throw a kick. I know that was just the same he does. inflict a lot of damage to those kicks, but ultimately that's the lead from getting taken down. Taken down. Um, so I personally would stay in half a level chain, Stay on my jab, keep the range, and, and, and play inside a boxing range. And stand in tight like that, that makes the beef have to drop down straight down versus being able to shoot from a distance. This shot is so fast from a distance, a lot of people can't, you know, they can't deal with it. But when you're in tight, they have to drop right down. And that can drop into an uppercut of knee or at least a body lock of some side of some type for you to be able to circle out. Yeah, that sounds like a great strategy. I mean, you took the words right of my, out of my mouth when I was watching the fight. I was thinking like, hey, where's Justin's jab, right? I didn't see any jab establishment and also any uppercuts. I'm like, you know, where are the shots up the middle when you're in the pocket with Habib? It just seems like he was trying to set up that left hook, which is real powerful. And as you mentioned, the leg kicks. But I think some of the things that you mentioned would have been uh, essential. And when you uh, mentioned the uh, stand tight, and forcing uh, Khabib to drop down for the takedown, it made me think about uh, Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie, that fight. I think Kevin Lee's posture uh, in relationship to Gillespie was real good, you know, facing a similar Khabib-like threat. Right. 100%, man. Staying half a level change, that keeps you low enough where you're able to strike. One year strikes are going up now, so versus if you're standing tall, of course, they can get underneath you and get the leverage. But from a striking standpoint, it's way harder to knock someone out punching down versus punching up. Mm-hmm. So somebody with the type of power and pop that Gaethje has, if you would have stayed in that half a level change and threw some uppercuts or something along those lines, I think he would be able to generate enough power to, you know, hurt um, a bee. And like you said, you said as far as with the jab, man, um, I think that's one of the most underutilized tools in all of MMA. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it comes down to the fact that a lot of mixed martial artists don't have a uh, I don't want to say don't have a, a decent strike coach. They do from a kickboxing and, you know, Muay Thai standpoint, but the jab is jabs and body shots are pretty much non-existent in the MMA for some reason. I have no, no idea, but that's the bread and butter of my game. Hmm. Okay. So that makes me, and I want to keep going through this fight because there's so many important moments, but in, in terms of you bringing up the, the jab question, what did you think about um, uh, Robert Whitaker versus, 
Jerry Cannonier, someone who did have an effective jab throughout in Rob Whitaker. He set the tone and, and, and Jerry Cannonier said it himself. He said, I could, I could never find his, I could never get in my groove and I couldn't pick up his rhythm. Mm -hmm. So when you establish a jab, man, it's, I like to use this site when I'm coaching, you know, beginners or anyone that's ever taken class with me with boxing. The jab is like a red dot site, you know, on your gun. Your your right hand or your, your rear hand, whether it be southpaw orthodox, your, your rear shot is kind of like your, that's, that's your bullet right there. All right, so your red dot site finds where you need to go, then you better shoot your shot. Mm -hmm. Without establishing a, a good jab, man, it doesn't matter if you have the type of power with Mike Tyson, like, your chances of knocking someone out decreases greatly because you don't dictate the range and the pace of the fight. Mm, right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And one thing with Robert that was so beautiful, it seemed like he had this one, two with the jab. Uh, and then yeah. he would go for the high kick, which Jared just seemed to not have an answer for. Uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what ultimately led to the knockdown was that combination, you know, and right hand, well, right hand kick. That's right. right. That's his go-to. Right. And I think, you know, early in the fight, we saw Whitaker attempt that, right? And it didn't lead to the, uh, you know, most beautiful connection, but he knew it was there. And then he went back to it at the perfect time, it seemed like. Yeah, exactly, man. He he set it up perfectly. And I'm, I'm not sure why Cannoneer, I don't know what they did in film study, why he came out in the softball stance to mm. play that game. Um, ultimately, it led to him getting kicked in the head like that. Um, I'm not sure what, what the deal. I know they said he uh, Whitaker threw a threw a kick that broke um, broke a bone in Cannonier's left arm, I believe. So that may have had something to do with it. Um, but hit, Whitaker using that jab, man, it threw Cannonier. Whether his arm was hurt or not, that jab set the pace. And um, um, Cannonier tried to you know establish his leg kick game, and I thought that would actually take an effect if they would have. I think it would have went another four. If it went to like five rounds. And, and personally, I think title eliminator elimination fights should be five rounds. Mm. That may have, you know, dictated a, something in the fourth or fifth round, but he never really got going because Whitaker just kept putting that jab in his face all night, man. Right. That makes me also think, since we're having a conversation about jabs in terms of big UFC fights, it reminds me of two uh, Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega. I think Ortega had a pretty solid jab as well in that fight. Oh, man, it was beautiful. He he picked him apart, and, and whenever the Korean Zombie tried to engage, uh, he could use that jab to, to stifle attack and to start his attacks. What I like to use against aggressive opponents, typically I like to jab to the chest, and that stops the forward pressure and momentum from an aggressive fighter. I don't necessarily throw all my jabs to the face. Like, I'll touch your hand, and then I'll shoot right to the middle of the start and let the chest just stop your forward progression, and then I can circle out. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So... Transitioning back to Habib and Gagey, I want to have a conversation about the sequence in which the sequences that lead to Habib uh, ultimately submitting Justin Gagey. So I want to get your thoughts about first Justin Gagey's takedown defense when he sprawls. Like it seems he has like an explosive sprawl, but then Khabib uses the momentum of the sprawl to take his back. Uh, what are your thoughts about Justin Gagey's defense and his uh strategy there in that moment i mean well gagey did the right thing but um i had a similar experience when i fought uh for bellator i fought Jaleel willis who actually just signed with bellator and he's uh i think he's about to fight for tricky um for the 155 belt um but when i that on the initial shot with someone that wrestles continues like habib or Jaleel, man they just keep going so that initial sprawl is enough to stop that first shot but 
a lot of wrestling. What they continue to do is reshoot. And and Habib, as soon as Gaethje shot his hips back, Habib just kept going and turned the corner. And Gaethje, in my opinion, he didn't get the cross face and, and get a, get Habib's head over fast enough. And he was just trying to create a scramble or some kind of chaos. But Habib's ground control, or once he locks up with you, man, it's just, it, I, I've never seen anything like it. Mm. I think he did everything he could, but obviously off his back, I don't think he's. I don't think he plays off his back at all. And I honestly, based on what I saw right there, because B shot for takedown, Gaethje sprawl, he took his back, then they, you know, to transition, and then he went straight to S mount and set up this tri- this triangle. Man, it was it was almost like what it looks like in jiu-jitsu class when you're breaking down the setting up the triangle. It, it, it was perfect. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I want to get your uh, thoughts about that too. In terms of setting up the triangle, it seemed that uh, so. Habib is on top uh, initially. It seems like his foot might have got caught in a gate. Like there were some moments of pain, I think, because as we know, post-fight, he uh, broke a bone in his foot before the fight. And I think you see a moment where, you know, probably the most painful for him in that fight was his foot against the cage. But then, as you mentioned, he beautifully takes a moment to uh, transition to what looks like an arm bar, but then moves quickly into the triangle. And just what did you think about the, his hand movements in those sequences and the way he was uh, positioning himself? Like, for instance, the free hand control in the head, using Justin's desire to re- resist one direction with his hands, but then he uses that momentum to set up essentially the choke. What did you think about all that business on the ground? Man, I think it just showed the the, the level of ground game that Habib possessed. Um, once he transitioned, man, he you know he attacked because from from the triangle you have the you have different attacks. You can attack the arm bar, the triangle. I think by him transition, kind of showing that arm, I don't think he ever really wanted it. If you look at the the beginning of the first round, he started to pin Justin's right arm down, um, and I don't think he was really hunting an uh, arm bar in that first round. I think he's putting more pressure on Gaethje's power arm. If you go back and watch um, maybe like the Poirier fight, um, Connor's fight, Abib does a good good job. And he, he said, like his father's playing, he, he doesn't go into break you, he goes to break your muscle. So if you go back and rewatch that Poirier fight and the Connor fight, Abib, whenever he shot, he was leaning on their power arm, which their left arm. And then I noticed in this fight with Gaethje, he started attacking that right, his right arm once he hit the ground. He puts a lot of pressure on that. So once you do get up, or if you get up and you're trying to throw strikes, your main weapon is already compromised because he's fatigued. So he's broken that muscle down. Wow. And then in the second round, um, once he transitioned to it again, and somebody like Khabib on the ground, he could feel when you're like ready to go. And like, and I don't know if you heard in between rounds when Gaethje said, and if you listen to all of his Gaethje, I, I can't get him away from it pretty much. So by that point, he was starting to break. And Khabib is real good at sensing when someone's breaking, and you can feel it. And Gaethje, I mean, honestly, he tried to fight off the triangle. But the way that Habib transitioned to, um, like you said, pull down the head, and Gaethje tried that last-ditch effort to pick him up and slam him. Mm. If you look, Habib was able to hook underneath that left leg of Gaethje, and that negates the whole picking up thing. Right. And after, like, two seconds, you're over. That's when you see those white lights. Right. And I, I just feel like for uh, Gaethje, it may – so what do you think about the, the coaching staff's approach to this fight? I mean, obviously they know Gaethje has a huge hole in his ground game and that it will require some – uh, some unique attempts on, on the bottom. Like, for instance, I don't think it was surprising the sprawl techniques Gagey used, which opened up the door for Khabib to take his back. I don't think uh, his uh, moves even try to slam out of the triangle was surprising. Like, we look at film at Gagey's wrestling, all those things were predictable. So, so how does a coaching staff approach that? Well, 
you know, the fact that, you know, ultimately this guy's approach to wrestling in terms of it, its explosion is the very movement and momentum that can set up the worst offense or the best offense for Habib. Man, uh, I don't want to, you know, talk down as long as coaches or whatnot because they, they, they have successful fighters and they got up to that point. But my jiu-jitsu coaches, man, our whole thing is um, not using the terms explosion, speed, things along those lines. Because the longer the fight goes on, you lose those. So if you Gaethje started to get, he started to win, and before the fight started, Gaethje looked at a, he looked a little thicker than, than usual. I don't know if you noticed, like his traps and shoulders. It looked like he had been on a maybe like the weight pile real heavy, just trying to you know increase his strength for this fight. Mm. Um, but as far as jujitsu, man, I don't. It, it doesn't look like he does jujitsu at all. He, he didn't look comfortable on his back. Um, I think his whole his primary thing is to create chaos and scrambles. Mm. And and from his coach's standpoint, I think they. Um, I don't, you know, once again, I'm just assuming, but it seems as if they just, instead of coaching their fighter to, you know, be a complete fighter, they just kind of take his strong suits and, hey, let's go with this versus tell them what needs to happen. Like, if I know if I'm fighting Habib, my game plan is leading up to that, that whole camp is one, working off my back with jujitsu, plus working my strike, and I'm not going to change my game plan any, but I know where I could possibly lose the fight at right. against a, a gentleman like Habib. So I'm going to make sure my cardio is on point. Then relax control and working a lot of a lot of a lot against the cage and jujitsu off my back. Not scrambles, but jujitsu. Yeah. And jujitsu has nothing to do with speed, strength, or anything like that, man. Because I've seen a 115-pound woman choke out a 220-pound man easily. You know, so right. I think that comes down to his coaching and and, and yeah, man, I, it, it kind of falls on them. You know, I'm not sure if they told him back, but Gage didn't, didn't fight like Gage. I think he should have walked him down. And, and, and through shots and made Khabib take desperate shots versus let Khabib dictate the pace. Right, 100%. Uh, and, you know, I think, honestly, Trevor Whitman is one of the best in the game in terms of MMA, especially striking. I think, yeah, fantastic. I don't know about his uh, cue when it comes to jiu-jitsu uh, or, or any ground uh, game or even wrestling, but I know at least from a striking perspective, he's, he's uh, pretty, uh, you know, renowned, I think, in that. You know, right. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Because if you look at just a staple of fighters that come by, man, they typically have high level strikers. Um, and I think, from a coach standpoint, I think one of his strong suits is knowing his fighters. Mm-hmm. Like he knows like what makes him tick and, and things along along those lines. Because you look at like a Gaethje and a Rose Namanudas, those are two fighters, but they both like mentally they are completely different. Like Rose, you never know she's gonna be in a good mood one day and she may be sad the next day. Like she literally cries and smiles before fights. Who knows? Right. I mean, Gaethje, he's just a He's a wild child, you know, so I think, you know, his, his, his coaching philosophy is more so like, you know, mentally versus like the skill set. Mm-hmm. But his striking is, his striking, his striking coaching is, is pretty good. But like, like Gaethje, you know, honestly, man, leading up to the fight, I went back and watched the Tony Ferguson fight and, and no shade on Gaethje. Obviously, he's, you know, he had the interim belt. But from a striking standpoint, I, I, like for me personally, I'm licking my chops to fight somebody like Justin Gaethje. It's, he has an overhand right, a left hook and a right leg kick. And if you look at it, if you just look at the numbers, like they talk about his power, but how many people has he really knocked out? He knocked out Edson Barbosa, who gets knocked out if he gets touches, and then James Vick. Those are the only two people that have ever been knocked unconscious by Gaethje. Mm. Everyone else is more like an attrition thing. He just keeps throwing, you know. So as far as power, and if you look at his hands and he throws those shots, typically his knuckles, and if you can see it, the palm of his hand, it's almost like a slap versus actually punching with your knuckles down the way you're supposed to 
you know, punch and turn your shots over. That's how you get snapped. Um, man, it's just a lot of the technical things. I think a lot of people just got enamored with the fact that Gaethje creates chaos because they love the fact that they just want to see a fight. But yeah. from a skill standpoint, I never thought Gaethje was just a top-tier fighter, you know, from right. a skill standpoint. I could be wrong. Some people are going to argue with me, but it is what it is. Hey, there we go. I mean, for me, looking at Gaethje, I, I agree. My sort of doubts uh, crept in once I saw the Dustin Poirier fight. That really shows some things uh, to me, especially one, his fatigue, like him being fatigued in that sort of brawl. I'm like, well, if you're fatiguing in this stand up versus Poirier, I don't know what you're going to do with Habib's pressure. That was one. But then also, too, from, as you mentioned, the sort of technical boxing aspect, it looked like Dustin Poirier outboxed him, you know? What? Man, yeah, 100%. and I think that from the Ferguson fight, it was just I don't know, it was something about the empty arena. You could just hear some of them shots off Ferguson, and just the way he yeah. looked, it was it, it really you know created that uh, that sort of cinematic, oh wow, this dude is a cracker effect. Uh, but I think to your point, it was a bit inflated, maybe a bit, right? Yeah, and man, the way I watch a lot of the fights, especially. I watch, you know, fights initially when they happen, but when I go back and I watch film, I watch them inside. I turn off all the sound, and I just watch it for what it is right then and there. Mm. And, like, leading up to the fight, everyone's saying, you know, if Gaethje lands, he'll hurt the be, yada, yada, yada. My thing is, the only thing, that the only, only fight that we saw would be possibly a shot may have landed was Michael Johnson. And when you go back and watch that fight, at no point was to be in danger. He wasn't hurt. But, of course, Joe Rogan screaming, oh, he's hurt, just because... Michael landed a, a shot that Habib was never hurt at any point, you know, because uh, it's, but like you said, as far as like his wrestling and Gaethje dancing out, man, like just watching his fight, he, he likes that chaos. He doesn't know how to, in my opinion, I don't think he knows how to dictate a pace or, or, you know, set things up. He just throws and what happens, happens. Right, right, exactly. I, so one thing I thought from that fight I do think if, if Gagey hits, let's say, three the four more of those leg kicks, I think Habib is going to be hurt. I don't know. Those leg kicks look cracker. You know, they look uh, like they do damage. Well, what did you think yeah, about man, the leg kicks? <clears throat> one, um, for, so uh, Gagey, his leg kicks are, are devastating, man. His whole career and most of his TKOs literally, I, if I'm not mistaken, have come from leg kicks. He just he builds them up and he turns his hips over into them. It, it not necessarily. He doesn't necessarily hit the same spot over and over again because, like I said, he's not really measured. Measured, he just throws. But when he does throw that kick, he throws it almost beneath the, the knee. And now everyone's on like the calf kicks and things along those lines, man. And, and I've personally, I've, I've taken a few of those, three or four of those, and you're gonna start to get compromised. And like you said, if he would have landed a few more of those and then start to hit that fourth or fifth round, the beam shots would have been a lot slower. You know, I think if, if Gaethje would have set up his jab to keep a beat at range and then start adding those kicks here and there, then I think he would have been a little bit more effective. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, for you and dealing with someone who's uh, leg kick heavy, uh, thinking like a Barboza or like a, let's just say Justin Gagey, how, so how would you uh, engage with checking those kicks, those calf kicks? Um, check. So I turn my, whenever I, if I do get hit with calf kicks now, I, I turn my foot out, just a slight turn because at that point, then I'll hit their shin. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't like to check kicks because uh, it hurts. Like I'm, it hurts. It hurts. Mm. But I, I don't, I don't mind. I'd rather check the kick and, uh, take the risk of him injuring himself 
you know, like I don't, I don't mind putting myself at risk just for him to injure himself. I'm not going to let him just get a, a flush leg kick and unanswered. I, I can't allow that. Um, so handling someone like Gaethje, man, my game is a whole lot of in and out. Um, so honestly, like if I do get hit with kicks, it's more so with the foot. I never really get hit, you know, flush because I try to play at an outside range. And then if I'm in, I'm in a boxing range. So you don't really have the space to throw a kick. Um, so that's kind of how I like to deal with though, anyone that likes to kick. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So I was going to ask, too, uh, in thinking about uh, this fight. So it's interesting because the the fight between Justin Gagey and Habib, that's your weight class, right? The 155 uh, division, lightweight division? Correct. Yes, sir. So uh, think, and thinking about the landscape of the 155 division now that Habib is retired, uh, what do you think uh, about the – the potential of a McGregor Poirier for the title, this new contender, Michael Chandler. What do you think of the landscape of the division? Uh, man, I, I mean, right now it's wide open. Everybody that's kind of been on the side, been on the sidelines the last, you know, year, a few months, now that Habib said he's gone, everybody's licking their chops now. Like, cause it was wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as Connor and Poirier, honestly, I think Connor's going to put Poirier away again. Um, just since the last time they fought, I mean, Poirier does have good boxing, but, the way he fights, man, he, he's been in too many wars, and, and Connor does pack a, a a wallop, you know. So I think he's going to put Poirier out again, if not the first round again, probably the second. Um, as far as the, uh, the contenders, Michael Chandler, I don't think he should even be in the conversation right now. His last loss of knockouts, tricky in Bellator. Um, so I think he should fight maybe like a Kevin Lee or maybe like a Gregor Gillespie or something along those lines, or maybe even Charles Charles Oliveira. I think he has more um, clout at a title shot than, than Michael Chandler at this point. Um, so realistically, I would put maybe like a, uh, I would do Poirier and Connor. And then as far as uh, Tony Ferguson and maybe like a, a Charles Oliveira and then Michael Chandler, let him catch, you know, like a Gregor Gillespie or something. He needs a couple of wins, I think, to really put his name up there to say that he can't compete with someone along those lines. But I don't think he beat the Gaethje. Uh, Connor, Connor definitely puts him away. He's too small. I mean, I've seen him in person. And Michael Chandler comes up to my chest, you know, so he's he's a little guy. His striking is basic. He's just really tough and engages in crazy fights. But at a high level, man, you can't engage in those kind of fights, man. I never want to be in a, a brawl. Like, it's, I think that's foolish. Mm, that's so interesting because I will say it does seem that Michael Chandler is positioning himself in, like, title contention. It's like, essentially, he will maybe face Tony Ferguson to fight the winner of uh, Poirier McGregor, but you're like, no, this dude is should be fighting some uh, 11 rank, 10 rank guys, not three, right. two, one. Wow, okay. He needs to interest, introduce himself to the to UFC fans. You know, myself and you, you know, man, we we know who he is. You know, because we follow the sport and we watch pretty much all, you know, all platforms. But and in, in order to, to, to springboard into literally the the thickest um, weight class. It has the most, I believe they have over 150 people on the roster. So just to springboard your way in after a knockout loss, I mean, I, if I was in the UFC right now in the top 15, I'd be pissed. Mm. I, just to put it blunt, I, I would have called out Michael Chandler immediately on Twitter, Facebook. I would have called Dana White personally. It doesn't matter. He, there's no way he springboard me after a knockout loss. It's, mm. it's not warranted. Okay, so – uh, transitioning to another person at a springboard. I got to bring him up because I'm high on this guy and I want to get your thoughts. Uh, Hamza Chemaev, uh, mm-hmm. just got announced he'll be fighting Leon Edwards December 19th from essentially unranked 
two months ago to fighting the third best uh, welterweight uh, in the UFC. What's your thought about uh, thoughts about Kamzit uh, Chamayev? Man, I still think he's a question mark right now. Mm-hmm. Um, based on his first performance, he fought John Phillips, who, in, in my opinion, shouldn't be in the UFC. I think he's probably on his way out now. Then he fought another guy who God knows who he is, and then he beat um, beat Jared Marshall, knocked him out cold. Which, um, granted, it is impressive to have three fist fights, man. You you barely get touched at all. Um, so, I, from a skill set standpoint, he passes the eye test right now. He looks good. I love the way he talks, the way he goes in and competes. But and as far as springboarding him up there, man, I'm not 100% sold on that. Um, but the welterweight division doesn't have really any uh, big names, quote-unquote. I mean, they have Jorge. Um, but from a skill set standpoint, I think Hamza, just based on what I've seen so far, I think he beats a Jorge just based with his ground game. Mm. Um, and with Leon Edwards, I, I honestly think he'll probably beat Leon as well. It's going to be more of a test, I think. But if you go back and watch Leon's fight, he has problems with grapplers, man. So the UFC is... They're being smart with their matchmaking uh, form. So they, they know they're limited on their stars right now, especially with, you know, Connor still out on out right now. John's and his, you know, got a lot going on. And then with the iron, they don't really have a, a bail cow, quote unquote, for money. They have easy, but a lot of people really hadn't taken him as well either. So they need to put some, put him, put Holmes in a, a good position. And I think this deal and that was fights going to be the, the fight that kind of puts him up there. Does he beat Oofman? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. Right. I would like to think about like a Kobe Covington or something along those lines first, and then go from there. Yeah. See, I was thinking so with the uh, welterweight division. I feel like it has some uh, potential, like as you mentioned with Jorge. But then I think you know how he's very cringy. But I think Kobe Covington is a superstar in that division, and the dark horse I think as of right now is Gilbert Burns. I think this Gilbert Burns is real talented, and I think that. There's some weird psych- psychology maybe going on between him and Usman as to why that fight hasn't taken place. And I wanted to get your thoughts about the potential between uh, Burns and Usman and who comes out on top of that matchup. Man, honestly, I I want to lean towards Gilbert. And here's, here's why. Gilbert is a very high-level black belt on the ground. Okay? They talk about Usman's wrestling and his control, which I mean, when we see it, we can't see the same thing different. I think the difference is going to come in the stand-up department. And Gilbert throws caution to the wind. He throws with massive power. And I think that he throws like that. If you watch a lot of people that have high-level jiu-jitsu, they throw with massive power just because they're not afraid of being taken down. If you take me down, cool. Now I'm going to submit you. So I, I, right now, if they were to match that up and Gilbert Burns were, were to beat Usman, I think it puts the UFC in a bad spot because Gilbert doesn't have the clout and notoriety as a Jorge or you know, like a Kobe Cubs, and it's just the the intrigue is not there for the matchup. And he, he Usman runs the risk of really losing that fight. It's not going to be a walk apart by any means. All right. So I was thinking uh, we're going to transition too into the uh, you know the conversation about John and and Habib next. But I wanted to uh, get your thoughts about maybe if Hamzat beats. Um, uh, Leon Edwards, then they could set up maybe an interim title shot between Hamzat and uh, Gilbert Burns, and maybe that could help elevate Burns' profile as he's able to do deal with, you know, I'm going to smash this guy, Hamzat Shemaya. What do you think about that for the matchmakers? Man, I think that'll be a, a good matchup. Um, I, and, and like you said, that as far as that'll give Gilbert the, the notoriety, he goes out there and, you know, and runs through Hamzat, and then I think that gives him the notoriety 
and the, the clout that he needs for a fight with Usman. But USC, I don't think they want to. All right, this is Devon Rousseau podcast. We're still here with Omar Johnson, a mixed martial artist uh, fighting out of Mobile, Alabama. Has provided great uh, commentary so far on uh, the UFC 254 card and just the general landscape of the UFC in the lightweight and uh, welterweight division. And now we're going to transition into the conversation uh, that uh, on Facebook that sort of uh, was the springboard for this uh, meetup here on the podcast. And it was a status that I made about Habib Nurmagomedov. And I made it very respectfully, no disrespect at all to uh, Habib and, and what he stands for in his uh, martial arts acume, but that Habib is not the best fighter of all time. And that the best fighter of all time that I would argue is John Jones. And we have Omar here with his expertise uh, taking the side of Habib as the best mixed martial artist uh, of all time in the UFC. And Omar, just wanted to give you the opportunity to establish your reasons why uh, you believe uh, Habib is, is is number one and number one over uh, John Jones. Uh, man, so one, as far as this is, this is my top five, you know, and in, in, in no specific order, like because, you know, honestly, it just comes down to in each individual and what they determine as you know, the GOAT status or the greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. For me, when I look at a sport or, you know, or anything and it comes down to that GOAT conversation, I like to look at the fighter side by side and typically I go, you know, if they were to compete against each other, who would win? And realistically, I started to break it down from there and I'm like, okay, okay. And for Khabib's standpoint, man, we haven't seen anything like that, in like him in the UFC. He, he's never been in trouble. He literally has dominated everything that's been put in front of him. I, I would say the biggest downside, he doesn't have the amount of, I would say, fights or just notoriety that John Jones possesses. If you go back, if you compare, just if you take 10 fights, if you take 10 fights between John, 10, John Jones' 10 best fights and Habib's 10 best fights and set them side by side against each other, it wouldn't even be close, you know. And, and going to the point, because you look at their records, it's very similar. John Jones, 26 and 1. Habib's, what, uh, 29 and 0 now. Mm -hmm. John Jones has 16 finishes. Khabib has 19 finishes. So looking at that side by side, okay, it's pretty much, you know, identical. But then you take into consideration the weight classes. Um, you have light heavyweight, then you got your lightweight. I I believe John, he he does he does have a lot of wins. He has a, like 11 title title defenses, and I believe that's what gives him the strength of being the goat because he does have a lot of title defenses. My problem with those title defenses. Um, is how he won them and who he won them against. Okay, those fights he has a lot of questionable fights. Um, you look at the Dominic Reyes fight. I mean, I think he did enough to win that fight, even though it was close. Um, then he had a split decision with Santiago Santos, who was a middleweight. Realistically, he just didn't want to cut weight anymore. Um, and, then, and he was injured in the second round. Then he be he had a decision with Anthony Smith and a close call with Gus the first time. In my opinion, watching that fight, Gus won the first fight. Then he took a, had a decision with like OSB and, you know, the uh, Glover Tech shares of the world. The names, uh, John has fought more names, in my opinion, than Habib. But it comes down to the fact that John, the people that he beat, and, and there's no shade on him, the fact that he beat them after they were at past their prime is that he has nothing to do with that. You can only beat who steps in the octagon with you. It's just that he never fought, in my opinion, anybody that's as athletic as him 
in or that was in their prime. If he did fight someone that was athletic like him and in their prime, he struggled. I.e. Gus and the Dominic Reyes' fights. He beat, you know, Rampage. He was washed. That, that wasn't Pride Rampage. He fought Shogun, who was washed. That's not Pride Shogun. He beat a Chael Sonnen, um, Brandon Vera. Um, and, of course, he beat DC. DC, in my opinion, probably is like the, the, the biggest fights. Out, but obviously, because of the rivalry and the way those fights went down, he completely outclassed DC the first time, and then he finished him the second time. Um, but then when I go over to the Beeb, I transition to his fights. And first off, no one calls out for B. No one said, hey, I want to fight for Beeb and Argumentoff. If they do, they don't sign the contract. You know, so then I look at his his top opponents. He he finished Gaethje. He finished Poirier. He finished McGregor. Then he completely outclassed Rafael DeSangos. All four of those guys had the belt at one point in time or interim or the primary title contender. Um, and then he's supposed to fight Nate Diaz, who turned the fight down. So him having big name fights and the amount of fights that John has, I don't think that's necessarily his fault. He was supposed to fight Tony, but I mean, I, honestly, I think Tony might have elbowed him or something from the ground just to, to cause a cut. But I think it would have been one way traffic with Tony Ferguson as well. I think Tony Ferguson's biggest attribute is his cardio and his uh, his awkwardness because, from like a skill set standpoint, his stand up is completely god awful, and he just and he's just all over the place on the ground, you know. So I'm not saying he's not skilled. It's just I don't, I don't believe the hype. Maybe I'm biased because I'm at 155 and I look at these guys like competition. But right. side by side, man, the way Habib has gone out against his competitors and beaten them in a way that we've never seen any of these guys beaten. He made this Poirier look like he, uh, uh, you know, he's second fight in the UFC. Justin Gaethje completely outclassed him. Connor, he made Connor look like a little kid against the fence. Like Connor didn't want to be in there anymore. I mean, it's just the way he dominates fighters, man, is is, is unheard of. And with John, we can't necessarily say the same. You know, I feel like it comes down to when you're in there, if you are that much better than everyone that you compete against, for example, with John Jones and OSP on paper, you're like, man, why is OSP fighting John Jones? But then you look at the fight and you say, so why did this fight go to decision? If OSP, if John's is a GOAT, like OSP should have been done in the first round. There's been less than competitors finish OSP and, and, and finish Tiago Santos. But John didn't do it. He went to decision with these cats. So I'm like, uh, I understand your title defenses, but you wouldn't really necessarily dominate in those title defenses. For Habib, his biggest down is the fact he's only had four title fights, you know. But if they wanted, if he fought before the title back in 2012, he showed up to the UFC. I don't know if you remember, but the the Ben Henderson has built. Do you think Ben Henderson would have beat Habib? No, I don't think so. No. Uh, and then I, if you look at the who had the belt after Ben Henderson, I don't see any of those people beating Habib whether it be his first fight or his last fight. So when I look at, like, the GOAT status, man, I'm looking at complete dominance and doing something different in sport. John is John. Is John. Like, I love his dog intensity. I love the way he fights because and I think to beat a John Jones, like, you're, you're probably going to have to kill that man just because I love his grit, you know. But from a skill set standpoint, that's what I look at from a GOAT status. I don't think he has the same skill set as a B. So if they were to compete against each other, I just don't think he would have enough to be able to beat him. That's why I would say versus, you know, the the whole the GOAT status. Right. So for me, I think, and those are all fantastic points. And again, this is no knock to Habib uh, Nurmagomedov, but I think, you know, John Jones uh, deserves his roses while he's here. I mean, John Jones was the youngest UFC champion in history. 
uh, and is undefeated, uh, as you mentioned, with 14 uh, title defenses. And I think that cannot go uh, not only unnoticed, but that has to mean something for his resume. Like a lot of, as you mentioned, with, you know, some of his uh, competitors being washed. I think when we look at, I mean, his first championship fight versus Shogun, Shogun was the champion. You know, he held the title. And if the title holder is washed, uh, I, I don't know what that means for the division at that moment. And ultimately, John just came in and, and took it. And that was what was in front of him. And I think that and Shogun was still dangerous. We're talking about 2011. You know what I mean? Like, this is not like 2014 or 2015 Shogun or the Shogun that's fighting now. This is championship level Shogun. And, you know, when I think about uh, John Jones, I think about moments with Leota Machido where he got uh, almost he got rocked in that fight. You know, and it was the first time he got rocked at, at the championship level, but he ended up winning the fight via a standing Darth uh, choke and choked out Leota Machido, a known uh, grappler, striker, high level uh, guy. And I thought that was pretty impressive. Or his fight with uh, uh, Vitor Belfort, where uh, he almost took him by armbar. Uh, and he fought through that and ultimately got the finish via Kimura. Very, you know, some folks be like, oh, Belfort, he was, you know, past the, the the pale. But even in that fight, it showed that regardless of someone maybe not being in their uh, athletic prime, their fighting IQ makes those fights very dangerous. And that they can never be counted out by merely being like, hey, you know, I'm not at my peak athleticism. It's that experience they had in the ring that ultimately provides a very unique challenge for John Jones because John was so inexperienced at the time. So, and as you mentioned, one of the best fights, I think, honestly, in UFC history, uh, Gustavinson. I mean, what a fight. And we know from the backstory with John, he didn't train as hard for that fight. He was doing all other type of stuff, you know, but you can't take any way from anything away from Gustavuson because he has such a, a great performance, but ultimately John uh, etched that out, you know, and I think it's something to be said for John Jones as a former Juco college wrestler to come into the UFC and essentially dominate Olympians, all American wrestlers in the form of DC, you know, that that has to be taken into account in terms of his skill set, because I think the narrative is beginning to form that John Jones is not skilled. And it's just like, wow, how much does this guy have to oh, show? No, no. Yeah, and I think that he's uniquely skilled in terms of uh, his wrestling acumen, but also his striking pedigree, like the use of the elbow in terms of his strikes, that uh, powerful shots. And I think my big issue with Habib was just, you know, and uh, when I said this, uh, you know, I don't think it's the biggest knock in the world, but I think at least his, his 16 earlier fights, uh, it's some very questionable stuff in there. And John has it as well. John early fight, he has at least of the uh, nine pre-UFC fight or around nine. There's three in there that some guys are only listed as having two fights, him and someone else. But for Habib, I saw like 10 of those uh, instances. You know what I mean? And that is not to discredit Habib. It's just to say like, hey, when we talk about the sort of legacy pre for both of them, you know, I don't want to be uh, biased here. Let's leave some of those out. Let's just talk about what they did in UFC. And if that's the conversation, I think Johnny Bones Jones just runs away for, from it. I mean, it, as you mentioned, look at his top fights. His top five fights, we or pe in terms of their resume, we could probably agree that it's Rafael, Edson, Connor, uh, Dustin, and uh, Justin, right? Now, let's look at top five for John in terms of competitors. DC, Alexander G Gustavuson, Shogun, Leota, and Belfort. 
Now, how will we stack those two top fives? I think it's decidedly uh, John. What do you think uh, about that? I like, like, like I, said, I, I like the fact that the names, but I look at where were they in their career. And my biggest thing with John is no, no knock on his skills. That like I, like I say, he, to say he's not skilled would just be that's blasphemy. <laughs> but I think John's biggest, his strongest point is the fact that he has our, our intangibles. He he literally has a eight inch reach more than anyone he ever competes against. You can't can't negate an eight inch reach. That's that, that's a lot. And DC having the accolades he has, yes, he he was an Olympian. He, he did wrestle a lot, but those are all past tense. The DC that we see competing in MMA and especially these last few years fighting against John, one DC was an emotional wreck. He was and some people that you they just got your number. And John was in DC's head way before that fight. And DC at no point did he initiate any wrestling. Like Abib said, DC, you'll take one shot. I'll take a hundred. And so John going out and beating. You know, a, a five foot DC is my height. DC realistically should be fighting at 85 or 70, realistically. It's just the fact that he doesn't like to cut weight and he, he likes to eat. So he beat the 205 and, and like heavyweight. So John beat him. Yeah, he did what he was supposed to do. Gus was the closest thing that we've seen to someone having matching attributes, both six five, similar read, similar movement, similar age. And then he gets in that fight. And like I said, I think he lost the fight. Then he fights Dominic Reyes, young cat, 6'5", similar reach, struggles. Now you go over to Habib, Habib matches up size. No, there's no intangible besides the fact I've heard, but it's the only thing I've heard from all the fighters when they after they fight Habib is the fact his strength. And they just talk about how strong he is and his control and once he's on top of you. Um, from John's standpoint, fighting those names, man, like I said, like with the, the Vitor Belfort, Vitor, Vitor is a, he's a middleweight. You know, everybody, he's a, he's a middleweight at best. John's a a very big lightweight who uses intangibles and his skill set to do what he needs to do against smaller, older opponents. Habib, meanwhile, went in with people all in their prime. Conor McGregor, when he lost to Habib, was in his prime. Justin Gaethje's in his prime. Poirier's in his prime. Rafael Dos Anjos at the time was in his prime. It's in his prime. Now, to say that against, not saying that, like, as far as with John, if you look at, you know, the, the Gus. Gus, like I said, that was this. It's tough to spike. When you look at like the showdowns and rampages, like realistically, I understand they're back in the day we we're looking at who they are, but from the UFC standpoint, when John fought them, the light heavyweight division was it was none avoid. It, it was they needed someone to bring back life to, to the light heavyweight division. That's always been the bell cow for the UFC. So when Shogun had the belt, you know, it was it was cool and all, but they needed someone to come in and Pretty much gets get the eyes back on that division because you had your Chuck Liddell's back in the day, your Tito Ortiz's. The light heavyweight division has never—I mean, I'm sorry—the lightweight division has never really been a division where UFC is putting a lot of a, a lot of emphasis to. It's always heavyweight, a light heavyweight. So I feel like the lighter weight classes don't get the respect that they deserve. But when you look at it from a skill set standpoint, the more complete fighters are beneath 170. It's very rare that you're going to just see someone like if Rampage fought at 155 with his skill set of just a powerful left hook. He probably wouldn't even crack the top fifteen. You have to, in my opinion, I feel like you. There's more complete fighters that John. I'm sorry that Habib has faced um, during that time, and 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 going to John. John also trained at Muay Thai, so we got to take that consideration. Him being at these big camps and just knowing what I know now, you're gonna get a lot more clout and a lot more notoriety just from being at these big camps. John had stayed locally and stayed over in Jersey, New York, where he's from, with that smaller gym. 
would he have gotten a title shot before that? Probably not. So it's, it's not on him. He did the right things, but I just think when you put them side by side, man, and just look at who they fought, when they fought them, uh, I, it's hard for me to argue. I understand Habib only has, like I said, four fights and John had 11, but that's more so comes down to promotion. If Habib had gotten a title in 2012, he might have 15 title defenses. But if people sign the contract, of course. You see, Omar, but see, that's my issue. It just seems like the the scales get tipped so unfairly. You know, it's always, you know, hypotheticals with Khabib, but Habib, but when we look at John Jones, it's the record. The record shows 15 titles and 14 defenses. The record shows youngest uh, champion in the sports history. Uh, and the right. record shows pure dominance of a division with the potential of being kept capturing the heavyweight title, which he's likely to do over Stipe, something Habib never did because Habib, folks don't want to talk about this, but this is a big lightweight. Like, I honestly think Habib is a is a welterweight truly, you know, and he never even had an inkling of thinking of moving up. You know, because uh, ultimately, I think, you know, I respect the 155 division in the UFC, but there's a clear wrestling gap between himself, and that does speak to his skill set, no doubt, and the rest of his competition. Like, I mean, literally, he just had a final fight versus an individual who had very little comprehension of the ground game. You know, and it's a skilled division, but when you see things like that, or even with Conor McGregor, everyone knows Conor struggles with the ground. You know what I mean? And it, I think it sets up a pretty nice opportunity for him to sort, sort of reign there. And I think, you know, if he would have took the challenge like a George St. Pierre or like a John Jones of moving up, we could have seen some interesting matchups that he ultimately has shied away from. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. You know, well, with Habib, 5'10", so I'm 5'10". He fights it. I mean, he walks around 85, 90. That's what I walk around at. So technically, they can say I'm supposed to fight at welterweight as well. But I'm going to tell you, bro, fighting at welterweight, most of those guys are over six feet. So you're mm. running at a big disadvantage. Mm. And in, as far as John, John hasn't moved up either. Like, he talks about moving up. He talks about going up in the heavyweight. But – I, I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening once he gets up there and realizes that people are the same size as him and they hit 10 times harder. So uh, his, his wrestling acumen, his striking, I mean, he, like I said, he got by on intangibles. But if you look at look at John, he fought, he fought Taylor Santos, who was a middleweight who got tired of cutting weight. That was, a, that was a split decision. Who can't wrestle? So why didn't he finish him? Then he fought OSP, who's been finished. Of course, he has a couple of bomb flu chokes, but... If you get hit with a Von flu choke, that literally comes down to your lack of jiu-jitsu knowledge. I don't even I, like in, to my, in my mind to get choked out by a Von flu choke. Like you shouldn't even be in the UFC at that point. Mm-hmm. And then you have Anthony Smith, who we went to the decision with. And Anthony Smith, in my opinion, is is, is not a top ten guy in middleweight or heavy, or light heavyweight. So as far as that wrestling acumen, man, that comes down to. I mean, you can only compete against who who steps in the cage with you. You know, if you want to compare like wrestling acumen, technically. Justin Gaethje on paper has a better wrestling than than a Rampage Jones, um, you know, and then a Rampage, Rampage. I'm sorry, not Rampage Jones. Rampage or Vitor or Lito, Leota. None of those guys have wrestling. Leota had a background in sumo wrestling, but I mean, how does that translate over to to, to mixed martial arts? If you look at like the wrestling, what wrestler has John Jones really faced outside of a Chael Sonnen, who's a middleweight? Right. Oh yeah, my argument. Uh, so I would say DC for sure. But I think that my argument is not to say that the heavy, light heavyweight, um, yeah, the light heavyweight division has better wrestlers, not by 
uh, any stretch of the imagination. I just think Habib has a definitive wrestling advantage, especially, okay, if we're going to talk about gyms and we're like, hey, John Jones has this uh, aura because of Jackson Wink, we have to talk about Habib and AKA. Like, that's a huge advantage in terms of where uh, essentially his uh, notoriety and also his exposure to American wrestling styles that he can easily just plot against, which allows him to mow through folks like a, uh, a Justin who only has that style, like, hey, never get on the back, be explosive, American freestyle. He's practicing against that for the past seven years, and that's no knock to him. That shows uh, Habib's uh, high IQ, his willing to work, etc. But I just think ultimately, if we're going to look at, uh, you know, John maybe being strategically placed via Jackson Wink, I think AKA in terms of their platforming of Habib has set up some pretty nice things for him as well, you know? I, I agree. I mean, having a having a strong uh, strong background with your gym definitely gives you advantages, and I can I can attest to that strict for the fact that I, I I'm for me personally, man, I can never go to one of those big gyms. If I did, if I were to go to a big gym, I would say it would have to be like an AKA, a TriStar. Um, maybe I, I, I like the way Rafael Cordero and Matt Hume, who no one talks about because Mighty Mouse not there anymore. I like the way he coaches as well. Um, but if you look at John, John has literally spent pretty much his Entire career at AKA. Habib just uses the AKA as, I'm sure not at Jackson Wink, but if you look at Habib, he, he, all his wrestling took place over in Dagestan. He comes over for the bodies for AKA, but if you, like, when you, they sat down to interview, they interviewed like the Ed Roos, the Jordan Burroughs, and they talk about Dagestani wrestlers and, and they talk about American wrestling. They said it before the fight took place. There's nothing Habib has seen from a wrestling standpoint that Gaethje or any American wrestler can give him, and that's not. That's not Habib's fault that America's lacking the wrestling department. And, you know, so if, if they're not prepared, once they get in there to start to grapple with them, that's that's on them, you know. Yeah, no, but, I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, but I just think it's important to, when we think about John Jones, I mean, it, it's some, I just think John Jones loses the PR battle. Like, whoever's doing his PR needs to be fired. I don't know. Like, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. So it hurts him in these discussions. And you always have recency bias. Of course, we just saw the very sentimental uh, departure of Habib from the 55 division, et cetera. But it's like, I mean, wow. Just I think it's been over a decade of dominance from this individual. Uh, and yeah, there's been some good matchmaking, et cetera. But we cannot uh, look away from 14 title defenses versus an individual who only had three. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you, can't, you, you can't do that. But like, like, I mean, like Coach G in college, man, you can only be who, show, who shows up on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. So if you, if, if like they say, if they had signed up, like I said, it's hypothetical. If they had signed up, then you know, realistically, be would smash it. Like it's, but that's not the case. John had the advantage of being in the light heavyweight division. If you look at it these last decade, like how many tops outside of DC and Gus, how many really good light heavyweights have there been? in the UFC in the last five to 10 years. Mm. Like realistically, like high level guys outside of John DC and, and, and Gus. I mean, maybe you can throw Anthony Rumble Johnson there, but yeah. on the ground, he lifted the white belt. So by <laughs> uh, heavyweight standpoint, man, if you look at like the strength of schedule, I mean, like I said, I understand you, you've been, you can only be who you can be. So the fact that John has 11 title defenses, right on kudos, but the people that you beat, you fought DC twice. You fought Gus twice. So that's that's there goes four of your wins right there. You know, and like I said, that first fight with Gus, man, like I I had him losing. I had him down three two. But in order to be the champ, you gotta you gotta finish the champ, in my opinion. 
Right. Um, B man is just. I look at the fact like whoever he yeah it wasn't title defenses. I know those wasn't title fights, but when he was in every fight he's ever been in, he has completely and utterly dominated it from opening bell to the closing. Like we hadn't seen this man even scratch in twelve UFC fights. Like the people, for example, like if we want to go look at um, the people that you're supposed to beat, John's supposed to beat OSP, he's supposed to beat Smith, supposed to beat Reyes, all those are decisions. The one fight that really, like you say, like the Daryl Horcher win, um, I believe someone was supposed to fight Habib, but Horcher came in on late notice. Habib TKO'd him in the what, second round, first round, whatever it may be, complete dominance. My thing is, someone doesn't belong in there with you. You complete, you make them look like they don't belong in there with you. It's almost like, why did UFC set this man up like this? We've never said that about John Jones' fight. And to say someone's the greatest of all time, like I need you need to be completely and utterly dominant. Like I shouldn't even have to question. Like man, I don't know, I don't know. But like Habib, there's, there's no question. When 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 he gets the, get his, gets in the cage, it's, it's complete dominance and and just training the sport. Like and knowing so many things can go wrong in a fight in the UFC, or just in a fist fight. The fact that he hasn't even been remotely in danger, regardless of a title fight or not, says like you, you can't you can't just write that off. You know. Yeah, I think that that's a very, very strong point. I will only uh, say that when it comes to John Jones, you know, he posted about this on Twitter. Like LeBron James is able to win a game by one point and be considered the GOAT. But because, you know, I have close encounters with what he considers dangerous, really skilled opponents, it's uh, it's a knock against him despite him still winning, still winning, still undefeated. It's like, hey, that was close. So – you know, it wasn't as as dominant. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, a, a win is a win. And this person, you know, hasn't, you know, it's been, again, 10 years of consecutive just win. It, it's just astounding. Honestly, when you, when you look at it, and I think once he captures, if he captures the heavyweight division, I don't even think it's a debate anymore. I think the debate is settled. No, no, no. If, if he goes out there and does what he needs to do with heavyweight, like at that point, I, I would – I, I would, I have, I, I think I'll go ahead and give him the, the ghost status. There we go. But yeah. I, I need him to see, I, I need to see him against similar size individuals with matching intangibles, and then him completely dominate him. Like, like, yes, he's won over these last ten decades. Like, say, yeah, LeBron wins by one point, but LeBron's in basketball, so yeah, you can win by one point on the last second shot. But it makes more arts. It's, 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 it's completely different. So he used that was a bad analogy for him. He should have used something else like but in the fight game it's completely different so if he wants to i don't even know how you can compare it to but to have a man go into a fist fight and, and, and never be in danger i mean i know john was dominant and he beat everybody but did he beat him convincingly not really there's a lot of people that will fight fight done that say hey man i want to run it back how many people have we seen say hey man i want to be again uh connor that's the only one in the 55, but, and that's some, I mean, okay. So if we're going to get down and that, you know, that all those are great points, but we're going to get down to the nitty gritty of this. We, we could think about, for instance, in the fight versus Dustin Poirier, Dustin Poirier had the potential to uh, choke out uh, Habib, I believe via triangle, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, guillotine, yeah, guillotine, okay. Via guillotine. And it's like, you know, obviously Habib uh, broke out of it. But again, it just, when we think about matching intangibles, I don't think in the 55 division, there's much matching intangibles for Habib as some of these fighters. Like he's going against clear strikers. 
uh, folks that don't have established ground games. I think it, I think there's some. Uh, I'm not gonna say fluff because I know it's so much skill set at that uh, weight class. But I think that once you give a closer look into some of his fights, yes, he's dominant. But if you literally looked on paper and looked at the attributes of the fighters and the areas in which they have strengths and weaknesses, it literally gives credence and, and benefit for. Habib. And I think the only real threat he's ever faced at the 55 division is the fight that never happened. That's Tony Ferguson. You know? Uh, and I, I, agree. I, I think Tony would have, like I said, I think Tony may have cut it just for the fact he's strict, he's awkward, but he, he's too little, man. Tony's too, he's too for real. Habib would have, he would have broke that man in half. Wow. And, <laughs> and, if, yeah, and I, I understand as far as the previous, if you, you look at side by side, my thing is how many Jiu-Jitsu black belts has John Jones faced. How many has Habib faced? And he submitted his black belts. John Jones submitted Vitor, who has a questionable black belt. We've never seen Vitor just playing Jiu-Jitsu on the ground. So to submit Vitor, I mean, congrats. He, he submitted um, Rampage Jackson, which and he's, and he's uh, submitted Lyoto, who has a black belt, but he's not a Jiu-Jitsu player. Rafael Desangos is a very decorated like world champion jiu-jitsu player. He has accolades outside the UFC in mixed martial arts. I'm sorry, in jiu-jitsu. Same thing with a Glacian T-Bow. Um, and then uh, Dustin Poirier. We know these guys are high-level black belt. I can't say that again. I'm looking at Johnson's, who he's following. I hadn't seen one person that's a high-level black belt. Like, oh, man, John's going to be in trouble if they hit the ground. I, I can't say that. But when All right, okay. so, sorry for that uh, transition, you all. Again, this is Devon Rousseau Podcast. We're here with Omar Johnson, who has given us so many valuable jewels of, of the fight game from recapping UFC 254 to uh, providing a very robust defense of Habib Nurmagomedov as uh, the greatest of all time. And we just uh, ended with the conversation about a potential matchup between uh, Habib and GSP uh, thinking through GSP as maybe the the uh, individual that can solve the riddle of Habib Nurmagomedov. And I just want to ask Omar, can you move a little bit more into what a challenge like GSP means for Habib in a very technical sense? Well, from a skill set standpoint, man, I think GSP matches up well, especially in the wrestling um, background. Um, my, and, and Jiu-Jitsu, um, but when my advantage, it, the, the, the difference that I see would be in the stand-up department. Uh, GSP does very well maintaining the range and keeping distance. But I think the what a lot of people don't take effect with GSP, he's, like, he's a super intelligent guy. And his game plan is some of the best um, in the world. And, a lot, and Habib looks up to GSP. I think if they were to fight, you would have a similar situation to when GSP fought Matt Hughes for the first time. Um, you can't really tell with Habib, but Habib, the only thing he ever talked about was GSP, GSP, especially early in his career. Like that's he's a huge fan of GSP. If they ever were to compete, I feel like one, he GSP would have that mystique over Habib. And then from a skill set standpoint, I feel like GSP's game plan with Ross Hobby and his skill set would be able to give Habib trouble. And I and honestly, he would be one of the first people I believe that would put Habib on his back. And we'll see Habib in a position where we haven't seen him yet. So I, I know it's all hypothetical. We, realistically, I, Habib said he's retiring, and the person who he is, I, I'm sure he's not coming back. So we'll never get to see that matchup. But I think GSP would have had to have to take the saw the riddle, man. Right. 
Right, all right. So any final thoughts on the sort of Habib, uh, John Jones debate? I guess I'll start first in saying that, hey, I don't um, neglect Habib's dominance in the lightweight division and his uh, role in, in mixed martial arts, you know, in terms of the UFC. I think he's been a great ambassador for the sport and has had uh, absolute dominance. My only uh, caution is we know this is two black males is to make sure that you know, ultimately the credentials of our people aren't just put to the wayside. And I think when you look at an individual like John Jones, it's very easy for folks to uh, push away his resume. And I think his resume is so definitive. Like it would be hard to, if you just looked at those two individuals on paper and to be able to say, oh yeah, this person just uh, is clearly, you know, ahead of John Jones. When, as we've talked about 14 consecutive title defenses, he's beat arguably 50% 50% of his resume is Hall of Famers, or around 40%. It's just tons of accolades that John Jones has accumulated that doesn't negate Habib Nurmagomedov, but certainly deserves its its rightful place as as prestige. And I think that John Jones has been been uh, something special uh, in this sport. And I think once he's able, if he's able to move up to heavyweight and is able to secure the title there, that that will seal the deal uh, for me. So. Okay. Yeah, man. I, I, I 100% agree. You know, and and the fact that, like you said, with his resume is easy to be pushed aside, man. And if you notice, I never mentioned any, you know, outside the cage issues with John. You know, we all have, you know, different demons and vices that we're all fighting. You know, so he's that's something that he has to deal with on his own. But from what he's done as an as a mixed martial artist, man, like especially with those side offenses, you can't really you can't talk down on it at all. I mean, his resume is very impressive, regardless of the fights being close. Or not, he still came out with the dub, and, and that holds weight. So, from an accolade standpoint, um, only person I could, could argue with John Jones from a ghost at that point, in my opinion, would be maybe a Mighty Mouse or a uh, GSP or Anderson Silva, just based on the amount of title defenses. Um, but for me, when I look at that ghost status, man, it comes down to just pure skill set and dominance. But outside of the titles, outside of you know accolades, outside the cage, I just Especially, like you said, on paper, you look at it on paper, like it's not even close. John Jones, minor title defenses, um, the names he's beat, it's not even close. But I like watching all these fights so close, man, and watching them side by side and just looking at their skill set, just the, the pure dominance that be shows inside of the cave and with his skill set. We haven't seen anything like that. You know, like mm-hmm. even Mighty Mouse doing his run and Anderson Silva doing his run with those, you know, highlight reel knockouts and Mighty Mouse moving around the cage the way he does, man, the way he implements his game plan. We hadn't seen anyone dominate other in the other high-level individuals to the manner that Habib does. Typically, when we see that, we see see that from, like, a high-level guy taking on a late-notice guy or something along those lines, and he just completely outclasses. But in a championship fight, we haven't seen someone completely outclass. Even those those three or four fights that Habib had versus, let's just say, Chun's top three fights, we've never seen – a champion or anyone dominate someone the manner that Habib has done. And I think that's what sets him apart as far as the GOAT for me. But, man, just setting John and Habib, man, I, I, I value both of these guys, man, from a martial arts standpoint, watching their skill set, the way they work, the way they, uh, I follow both of them on social media, and I'm and I'm, and I, I'm real big on just, you know, champions. And, and John's biggest asset, in my opinion, is the fact that he has been in trouble and fall through adversity. We hadn't seen Habib in a situation where he had to like push through, like he's been rocked, where he had to, you know, battle back from adversity. I think that's a, a part of a champion that 
that you have to take in consideration as well. So when it really gets out to me, the potato things, the fact that John has been in those positions and fought through it, that shows shows that shows me a lot right there. You know, but no, I to dominate is what is, is to dominate is what I look at for a GOAT status. But John definitely has he's he's valid of being in that argument. And like you said, once and if he, you know, gets that heavyweight title, man, it's depending on how he wins and who he beats, you know, man, it's not even gonna be close. Yeah. Um, does he have what it takes to beat Stipe? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it'll be interesting. I think John will come in with the speed advantage, but him moving up is going to be interesting to see how he, you know, moves around carrying that weight. You know, I think, but I think he's doing the right thing, taking his time and not rushing into the fight and, and gaining the weight that he needs properly. So he, once he does that, man, he goes up there, maybe dispatches Stepe and then finishes Francis and Ganu. I think at that point, like it's, it's not even going to be close, man. Like we shouldn't even. At that point, they just need to go on, hand it to them, and, and call it a day and respect all the fighters for what they are. Yeah, exactly. I agree 100%. Oh, and I want to ask, uh, you know, two final questions uh, before we sign off. Based on uh, Habib's resume at 155, can we say now, since it's all said and done, that maybe Conor McGregor had the best fight against Habib in terms of uh, – surviving you know what i mean in terms of putting up uh some resistance can we maybe say that uh, i would say yes but I, I and the reason i think that is because habib had a lot of emotion on that fight i think leading into that like especially that first round if you notice habib he did a lot of circling in that first round i think and that was just to get the nerves out man because he, he obviously he wanted to get a Connor. you know Connor's very good at getting underneath people's skin mm-hmm. and I don't know who was in charge of I don't know if that was a beat or that was a game plan to move for the first, you know, two minutes or whatever it may be until to get the, the nervous energy out because Connor, he's in the power that he packs, man. Like you have to, you got to take consideration and fight very intelligent. So uh, I would say Connor did have the best showing, but I think that's because he, he, he in my opinion, he won the mental game against Abib leading up to the fight. So mm-hmm. Abib had to back up a little bit to get that nervous energy out and then go into his game plan. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember that first round versus uh Connor. Uh I think part of it too was to to gauge Connor's power. Like he was yeah. circling away from the left hand, you know, and I, I could tell that uh he was judging it it's its power. And I think he saw from the first one that wow, it packs a punch. Like it, it's real, right. you know. Uh so that yeah, no, I agree. That fight was very uh uh interesting and you know, it just, again, speaks to all the points you've made here about uh, Habib's dominance. And, you know, no disrespect to either John or, or, or Habib in this conversation. Both are so credentialed. And, you know, the GOAT debate will always continue. And, uh, you know, that's the uh, the beauty of those discussions. Sports, and, yeah, and the beauty of mixed martial arts. Omar, thank you so much for uh, coming on board. Let us know where we can uh, see you next. What's What's next for you? Uh, and what's next for me? Uh, I'll have to be in August, you know, so I'm just really getting back to 100%. I had a uh, tore ligament in my uh, my left hand, so I've been nursing that, but now I'm back to training. Training now for the last two or three weeks. Um, might have a potential title to fit. Um coming up for Atlas Fights. So we're looking at possibly doing something in maybe December, early January. And then, man, I've been getting a lot of opportunities for um, a gentleman up in uh, Michigan. They want me to compete against. And it's looking like, depending on how that fight goes early next year, we may see myself on the contender series. Um, I like the matchup. I don't feel like this gentleman presents any problems. I mean, I'm just looking for my opportunity to 
to get to the UFC, and then maybe we can talk about some of my matchups, you know, one day. Oh, no, without question. And I think to your uh, matchup with, uh, is it Michael McDonald? Am I saying that correctly? Yes, Michael McDonald. Yeah, Michael McDonald, I think it was fantastic. Like, I thought uh, when he had you on the ground, and it seemed like he had this, uh, a similar moment to Khabib, like the Dagestani um, arm sort of lockup, not arm, but a leg lock, like he had your leg. Yeah, and I thought you fought, up, fought out of that beautifully and maintained such a great composure. You know, seeing that fight, I was like, wow. One thing that stood out to me was your composure, and I have no doubt that you would do great on the uh, Contender Series, and the minute you are able, you know, I can't wait to your next fight. Uh, you know, we'll be talking about that as well, and we uh, thank you so much for your, your expertise here and, and knowledge of the game, and wish you 100% in terms of your recovery from the ligament, and also uh, success in your title defense and all of the great uh, ventures you have coming up. I wanted to ask, uh, where can we find you on social media? Man, you can find me on uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. I'm also on Twitter. Um, Instagram and Twitter is O underscore Johnson 251. Um, on Facebook is Omar Johnson MMA. Um, I'm not really big on that. I don't post a lot. I post a good bit on Twitter, um, but I'm working on the Instagram and Facebook, man. But uh, you can definitely follow me on there. Anytime I have fights or events coming up, those are always posted. Um, I appreciate you having me on, man, and allowing me to, you know, uh, allow us to go back and forth with our opinions, man. This has been fun, and and and, and, and talking to someone that's that's someone else that's knowledgeable about the sport, man. It's it's been great, man. So I appreciate you having me, and uh, I look forward to doing this again sometime, and uh, going from there, man. Yeah, thank you so much again, uh, Omar. You know, everyone talks about, you know. Uh, being down with the fighter from the very beginning. You know, when Jorge rose to fame, everyone tried to claim, like, I've been with them since the backyard days, the Kimbo days, and that we know that's not true, or we would have known about Jorge a lot uh, sooner than we did. And I think right now, for listeners, you have the opportunity to be a part of the building of someone that's going to be a force in this sport. So I would advise you all to play very close attention to the process for Orman Johnson and all the great fights he's already had and the ones that are getting ready to uh, come up. And thank you so much again, Omar, for coming on the podcast. Thank you, brother. God bless. Yep. All right, we'll stop the recording now.